1207. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Lots of stuff going on. Let's jump right into it. There is a simple solution for this whole mess that is going on at, at the border. And it appears that the president is moving towards that simple solution. And Congress is poised to act on that within the next 24 hours to make this whole issue go away. It's very straightforward. And if you have Democrats who do not support this, it tells you that this has never been about the kids. It's been about trying to score political points. Here, here's the deal, and here's what should happen. Now, let me, let me kind of back into this. About a year or so ago, we spent an enormous amount of time in this country debating the issue of transgender bathrooms for the one kid, maybe in the one school district, who was born a boy and was biologically a boy and wanted to use the girls' restroom or vice versa. Remember all the, just all the angst that we had and all the lengthy discussions we had? Well, what bathroom should they go into? What locker room should they use? And, of course, the answer w- was simple. It, it was a real straightforward thing, which said should have said, that, hey, all schools have to do is if you've got that one or two kids that have this particular issue, you set up a third gender-neutral mini locker room bathroom, and they use that. And it, it solves the whole problem. The kid who is biologically a boy but identifies as a girl doesn't have to feel uncomfortable. Other people don't have to feel uncomfortable. Boom. This is not a complicated thing. You have a separate designated bathroom. Now, some of the people who were trying to use this to advance a political agenda didn't want to do that. Well, it's unfair. It's shaming the transgender kid. Well, get over it. I mean, it's a reasonable compromise between different points of of view. All right. So now you have the immigration thing. And, of course, we've all seen the pictures and we've all seen all the conversations. And, of course, the Democrats think they have a winning electoral issue. These evil Republicans are separating the families at the border. Oh, how terrible this is. Well, let's back up and review the bidding. What you have going on is you have adults who are illegally entering the country, seeking, in many cases, asylum. In some cases, that will be justified. In more and more cases, though, it won't be, and they will be subject to being returned. Here is the problem. They enter the country illegally. If you merely arrest them, get their application for asylum, and say, Come back for your hearing in 60 days. 70 to 80% of those people don't come back. They just disappear into this country. Maybe you catch them, maybe you don't, but it's essentially just this green light to come into the country, ask for asylum, and if you're not detained, they just disappear. All right, so the policy had been under the Obama administration originally that when the families come in and they have children with them, the idea would be we detain everybody. You, you just you keep the family unit intact, but you detain everybody. Well, what happened is there was litigation, people saying, well, you can't detain the children. They haven't done anything. And then there was a court ruling that said that. So the result was, all right, now what do you do? You've got the parents that if you don't detain them, they're going to disappear. They're going to run. The kids, well, you know, if you, you can't keep the kids with the parents if you detain them, so what do you do? So the effect has been, all right, we're just going to let, if you bring in, if you come in with kids, maybe they're kids, maybe they're not, we don't know, but we're just going to essentially let you go. Well, that's not a workable solution either. So what is Congress looking at doing? Well, here's what, it's real simple. 
they're going to change the law. And they're going to change the law so it will say, if you enter this country illegally and you have children with you, you can be detained, but you can be detained with your children. We'll change the law to allow all the, the entire family to be t- detained together. Now, this is going to create an issue because you're going to have to, you can't put the kids in jail cells. You're going to essentially have to spend the money to create camps or whatever where you, a secure facility where you hold mom and dad together with the kids. And then that's, that's what you're going to end up having to do. And that's what Congress is looking at doing. They're going to commit money to, first of all, change the law to make it clear that children can stay in a detention facility with their parents. Secondly, they're going to fund that. So, and again, it's going to be, and my guess is it'll be like sort of camps of some sort, probably not the best place to be, but it's the only solution short of just allowing mom and dad to run free in this country. It seems to me that this is just the incredibly obvious solution to this whole thing. Now, I understand that there's some people, some of the illegal alien rights groups, who believe that we should just open up the borders, that anybody could come in and nobody should have to be detained. We should just go back and forth. Now, if if you're in that camp and you really believe that anybody should be able to come in and we don't have borders, well, all right, you and I are going to have a disagreement because I don't think that makes any sense. And if you talk to all the people who live around the border, they'll tell you they don't want that. But isn't this an obvious solution? I mean, we, we've had all this angst and all this stuff going on. I mean, shouldn't if the if the idea is to keep families together, isn't this the simple thing? You come in illegally, fine. While your matter is being handled, all right, everybody is detained together. But you are in fact detained. If you don't keep mom and dad, mom and dad are going to disappear. And 70 to 80% of the time, you're never going to see them again unless they get arrested or something like that. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Isn't this a simple solution to this whole thing? I mean, doesn't this solve all the problems? Create, change the law to allow the family to be detained together, spend the money to build the detention facility, but don't let mom and dad go until their asylum hearing has been held. Isn't this a reasonable way to solve the whole thing? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess it's it's kind of frustrating to me that it's taken lawmakers so long to get to this point. And I also understand that there, because of the politics of this and because people on the left think they've got a winning issue here, there's going to be a, probably a lot of people who won't support this. But if we really want to solve this problem, deal with the humanitarian idea that we're separating families, well, don't separate the families. But at the same time, don't allow the fact that people are coming into this country illegally with children. Don't allow that to be the green light that lets them run through this country. 414-799-1620. Isn't this the simple solution? We discuss next. It's 1215. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, I, I just, this this is easy, all right? You have people that enter this country illegally. They ask for asylum. The asylum thing has to be heard. All right. Well, they're, so what happens is if you release them before their request for asylum is heard, 
80 to 90, 70 to 80% of the time, they just disappear. They don't come back. Well, all right, so you have to detain them. All right, you don't have a right to just come into this country illegally and then disappear in this country. So what you have to do, you have to detain them. But I understand it, it's it's bad on all sorts of levels to separate families from their children. So you simply need to change the law to say, okay, we're going to have a facility where we detain the family unit together while the request for asylum is heard. And if it's turned down, well, then you have to leave right away. I mean, it, it's this isn't rocket science. Let's start with Lynn in Adele. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I think it's the perfect solution. But do you think we would have come to this solution without the president doing what he did? When you cause a ruckus and, and you actually put people onto the picture, the kids crying. I mean, I was heartbroken, but I knew nothing would have come from our legislators unless it gets to be this bad. How sad for us. Right. And, and you know, I'll be interested, Lynn, to see how people vote tomorrow because – you know, in this case, you have Democrats who are looking for the, towards the November elections. They think this is a winning issue. Okay, the Republicans are heartless. They're separating the, these families. That's a more compelling story than people come into this country illegally and then just disappear. Well, okay, this is a reasonable, I think, solution that, that marries both interests. The family unit gets to stay together, but you don't just get to disappear in this country, you know, without a right to do it. I think it's going to be interesting to see whether this has bipartisan support. Nothing has bipartisan support, though, and that's going to be unfortunate. I, I think they're going to be smart and they're going to support it. Well, unless they, they're real idiots up there. All right. Well, th- thanks for the call. Well, I mean, um, you, you know, this uh, maybe, but I mean, I, I think again, there, there's a degree of political opportunism that's going on. Oh, look, this is the latest. This is the 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 thing that's blown up on the Trump administration. Let's. Let's portray them as being heartless. And, of course, the, the other part of that story doesn't get out, which is if you don't historically, if you haven't detained mom and dad and you just give them a notice saying come back for your hearing, most of the time they don't come back. All right. So bringing the kids along turns into essentially a, a get into this country free card and, and that's unacceptable too that's why i think this isn't that hard it's easy to balance the interest now you have to have the money and you have to have the facilities and i assume they're going to turn these into sort of camps and uh, and that look it, it's not a desirable alternative but of course if you didn't enter the country illegally if you applied for asylum while you were still in mexico well all right maybe there wouldn't be that issue and again don't lose sight of the fact that this problem is being caused because people are entering this country illegally, bringing their kids along with them. That's the underlying cause of the problem. But I, but I understand you've got that situation going on, so you got to deal with it. Zach in Waukesha. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Um, my my First of all, obviously, no one wants to separate a family. Um, if you do want to hold someone's parents and hold their kids separate else, that's a little... A little messed up, but obviously what you're saying is true. That you got to enter the country by the rules, mm-hmm. and a lot of people think this is an American issue. But not to say I've traveled all around Europe, but I, I mean I have. But they have these issues over there too, as well. Sure. And no one really has a sound answer for it. But I do agree with you. Maybe we do have to have some sort of camps. Maybe make them a little nicer. Absolutely. Um, again, we don't. We don't want to have another internment camp uh, like World War Two or something like that. But people also forget about um, the Cuban uh, 
Cuban boat lift, which the country still hasn't seen a wave of immigration like that. And that's what they did over there in Miami and Southern Florida is they kind of wrangled them up and they kind of. Well, Castro, I mean, no, it's that Castro yeah. emptied his jails. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, Castro, so, you know, for the, for the whole Mary Little boat lift. I mean, Castro, I mean, they're Castro. And, and I'm not saying that everybody that came over in the boat yeah. lift was undesirable, but he yeah. cleaned out his jails. Did, um, yeah. It was it was just a disaster for yeah. this country for years. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. I mean, I guess I just this doesn't strike me as being rocket science. If we really want to at least address the immediate concern, which is, is it inhumane to separate families of people who are coming into this country seek illegally seeking asylum and are in this country illegally at least until asylum is granted? And sometimes it's going to be granted. In the majority of cases, I suspect it's probably not. But, but all right, if you want to keep the families together, let's just keep the families together. Jessica in Caledonia. Jessica, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, I am a progressive who listens to your show to get kind of differing points of view. You want to hear what the other side is thinking. <laughs> I do. I always do. I kind of just want to know where people are coming from um, before I make arguments on my side. Because we need to get back to kind of listening to each other and where different people are coming from. And I truly believe that the way you're breaking it down is pretty simple. And you're saying, you know, if it's the immediate needs that we're addressing, we want to keep families together, let's have some common sense stuff. But I think that the bigger picture we need to look at right now and legislation that's kind of in the works in the last few days is I think everybody really does want meaningful immigration reform. But I think the side progressives are coming from is we don't want to see, you know, solutions to this particular problem come at the cost of billions toward a border wall or you know, some more extreme views on on the right side. I think that's what people are kind of in fear of. Well, let me ask you this. Would you, and and again, there's going to be, see, because there's going to be two ways you can go. You can either go a, a, a small concept like I'm talking about. You know, let's, let's, let's change the law. Let's deal with this immediate problem. Would you be willing to trade money for a border wall? And I'm not a huge fan of a, of a wall other than a wall as a metaphor. I, I do think, you know, I'm in favor of like toughening up border standards, but would you be willing to trade a money for a wall in exchange for, I don't know, permanently protecting the dreamers, say? I mean, would, would you be willing as a progressive to make that trade off? I just think it's kind of a, a gross idea in my mind. I, I understand that where a lot of people are coming from is that the wall is kind of a, a metaphor for something bigger. And I just don't think that this particular president thinks of it that way. I think in his small little mind, he made these promises during the campaign, and it's, it's feeding red meat to the base, uh, keep talking wall, wall, wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there can be some discussions, and there has to be some compromise. So maybe, you know, we do get a little, you guys get a little, and we meet somewhere in the middle, but I feel like we're so polarized right now mm-hmm. that even talking about coming to the middle with some of these compromises is just off the table right now. And oh, that's Okay, so Jessica, you're in Congress tomorrow, and of course the, the Ooh, you've got the great. big, yeah, you've got, you've got the big issue, and, and you can have the job, by the way. <laughs> okay, so you're in Congress tomorrow. You, you've got, again, the big issue that we've been grappling with for Lord knows how long, the, the whole, how do you reform the immigration system? What do you do with the dreamers? All that. And then you've got the immediate issue, which is separating the people at the border. Do you vote on a, a, what I'll call like kind of the small ball approach? Let, let's fund camps. 
let's change the law to allow families to stay together. Do you vote for that? I think I, I do vote for that. Mm-hmm. I, again, I don't want to trade people for things I'm um, diametrically opposed to. Mm-hmm. I just think that's kind of a gross idea. But I think that there are enough members of Congress. Obviously, there's, there's people on the extremes on both sides. But I think there's probably enough members of Congress that could come to a happy medium that they need to start talking to each other again. People yeah. are not talking. There's all these sound bites. And yep. No, I, I get it. No, uh, Jessica, anger. no, thanks. For, no, I, I get it. And as long as people think that they can make political hay out of an issue, then one side or the other doesn't want to compromise. To me, all right, if you want to deal with the immediate problem, it's easy to deal with, and you should have 400 members of the House of Representatives and everybody in the Senate voting for it. It's 1227. This is Jeff Wagner. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let's see, the Brewers and the... My note here says the Brewers and the Buckos. And where does that come from? The Brewers and the Pirates get set to wrap up their series from Pittsburgh. Mr. Baseball, Bob Uecker, made the trip. He's on the call for the Brewers and Pittsburgh. Our Brewers coverage starts at 5.30 tonight, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. The Buckos. I actually happened to have the TV on. I was watching the. I was watching the game, and they had uh, former Brewer reliever Dan Plesic, who was uh, filling in for uh, Bill Schroeder. And I, I'm not a fan of Plesic. I mean, I, I was, I'm glad he pitched for the Brewers, but I don't think he does a very good job. That's just my opinion. He kept calling the Buckos. I just wanted. It's like, where? Stop it! Just stop it! But anyhow. You don't want to watch it on television um, or you want to watch it on TV, but your good commentary, just turn down the set and turn on WTMJ um, because, again, you're going to have Jeff and Bob doing the show. All right. The Marquette University Law School poll is coming out as we speak. Now, let me kind of back up on this. The The Marquette University Law School poll for a number of years was considered to be the, the kind of the gold standard of polls and um and I think deservedly so. Over the last series of elections, uh, they they've kind of gotten it wrong as much as they've gotten it right. And and part of that is just the problem we've talked about this before that you have with with polling and how difficult it is to get a representative sample and people lie to pollsters and it's tough to track people down. So you, you have to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. And like I say, I don't consider the Marquette University Law School poll to be the gold standard anymore, but we'll, we'll call it like the bronze standard. But it's still, it's what we have. And if you're, if you follow the horse races, this is one of the things that you, you know, you, you want to see. All right. So, um, here's, here is the deal. Let's see the, um, they first of all they poll on the the ten Democratic candidates for governor and and not surprisingly it's a huge number of undecideds I mean uh, enormous numbers of people who just aren't aren't tuned in and don't know who people are of of the primary voters the people who say they intend to vote in a Democratic primary um, no surprise Tony Evers who's the state superintendent of schools who's won statewide twice he's Got a huge lead to the extent that you think this is reliable. He's got 25%. Uh, Matt Flynn, who's run and lost for lots of different things, he's got 7%. Uh, Mike McCabe, who was like the, the ran the, the kind of good government things, he's got 7%. Uh, Paul Soglin, the hippy dippy mayor of Madison, he's got 7%. Kathleen Vinehout, 5%. The big loser in this poll is, is this Kelda Royce 
who is the one that got the endorsement at the Democratic convention. She's the one that had that ad about, you know, her, her with her breastfeeding the kid. And, and she's sort of the the beloved. She's the like the, the knight in shining armor for the, the, the far left. She gets two percent. 2% in the poll. Um, so she's just getting crushed. Now, again, this is still early. It's wide open. But she's she's not in the top tier. If the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association, for example, had continued with its position that it was only going to allow the top four polling people getting in, um, she, she wouldn't come close to that. All right. Um, on the other side of the aisle, in the GOP Senate primary, contest, contest between Kevin Nicholson and Leah Vukmir, Vukmir, of course, just coming out with her first uh, campaign paid for TV ad. We talked about it yesterday. Vukmir looking at the camera and playing the um, playing the the clip of death threats that she received during the Act Ten debate. Kevin Nicholson, thirty seven percent. Leah Vukmir, thirty two percent. So um, and thirty percent don't know. So a huge amount of of undecideds that that are out there. Um, a close race, but Nicholson. Nicholson ahead, which is, again, interesting, and it, it underscores perhaps what I was talking about yesterday. I thought Leah Vukmir's ad was a very, very strong ad directed at Republican primary voters because one of the knocks on Leah has always been, yes, we know you, we know you're conservative, but you know, are you too much of a quote-unquote establishment candidate? Can you really take – do you have the – you, are you going to be able to take on Tammy Baldwin – um, are you going to be able to raise these issues? Because it, it's clear that Kevin Nicholson is a flamethrower. Um, and I think the ad that she ran yesterday was designed to dispel some of those concerns. Um, but, um, she's, she's trailing to the extent you believe this poll, um, 37% to 32%. Keep in mind also, and maybe this is the other significant takeaway, is that the Republican convention, Leah Vukmir was endorsed by the, the delegates at the Republican party. Now, I am somebody who does not believe that the state party, that the state convention should endorse. And I know a lot of my friends completely and totally disagree with that. But at least if you believe the results of this poll, she didn't get much of a bounce from that, uh, that endorsement. Just like on the other side, this, uh, uh, Ms. Roy's got no bounce at all from her endorsement, which makes you wonder, you know, what, um, you know, what actually is going on here. Okay, so um, then they do a head-to-head between Tammy Baldwin and both Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson, and uh, Baldwin ahead 49% over Vukmir to 40%, um, so nine-point lead. I'm actually surprised it's not larger. Um, when you do the head-to-head Baldwin versus Nicholson, it's like 50 to 39%, so it's essentially essentially the same they're running the same and it shows i think that you've got an again an uphill uphill battle for um for that race however all right here's some of the other stuff there's clearly room they do a favorable unfavorable poll on on tammy baldwin 41 percent favorable 43 percent unfavorable on job performance that's that's a big number she's underwater on the job performance. And I'd have to go back and see if she's been underwater before, but a few months before the election, 41 favorable, 43% unfavorable. That creates an opening for whoever the Republican challenger may be. All right. So then the big question, um, Scott Walker, 
Uh, this is watched, and they do a head-to-head with Walker and the various Democratic candidates. He beats them all, but that's not surprising. I mean, it's a scattered field. But here's the big number um, that's out there. They ask Governor Walker's job performance. Job performance, he has been underwater. And by underwater, it means the disapproval rating higher than the approval rating. He has been underwater since, well, you got to go back to October 2014, all right? And, you know, again, it, it's, it's, it's not something that means he's not going to get reelected or anything. But this poll, to the extent you believe it, job performance, 49% approve, 47% disapprove. The approval rating higher than the disapproval rating, that is something that every elected official wants to see going into a re-election race. So if you're asking me the, the big winner in this poll, and again, take this, this stuff with a grain of salt, it, it's clear. Scott Walker is the big winner. That is the bottom line, headline number, Walker's job performance, 49%. Because once you get around 49 or 50%, um, you're... You know, you're, you're moving towards re-election. There's just no question about it. And I think that demonstrates what a real tough time whoever the Democratic nominee is going to be having, because the truth of the matter is, you know, you've got a lot of people, more people approve of the job that Governor Walker's done than disapprove. And as long as the economy stays strong and as long as unemployment stays low, I don't see those numbers dropping dramatically. It does appear that Walker has kind of weathered the storm that he went through, you know, after the aborted run for president a couple years ago and all. So that's the big takeaway to me. Walker's job performance, 49% approval, 47% disapproval. Baldwin, 41% positive, 43% uh, negative. Republican race, close. Kevin Nicholson leads. Democratic race, a lot of people haven't decided, but Tony Evers has a big lead um, if he's able to sustain it. Huh. Interesting results. And again, you have to you have to kind of figure out, you know, why and where that's going to go. But clearly, um, it is a fluid elective election season. Big winner from the Marquette poll is clearly Governor Walker, to the extent you want to believe those poll numbers. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The national debate over immigration continues. How did we get here and what is next? Gene Miller has the latest. Be sure to tune in. 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, they're still, they, they sort of dribble out the results of the Marquette University Law School poll. The other, the, the other big number, I mean, again, if you're, if you're just tuning in, Kevin Nicholson leads Leah Vukmir by five points among people who've decided, but there's 30% undecided, so that race is wide open. Among the Democratic candidates, Tony Evers has 25%. Nobody else has more than 7%. Um, Kelda Royce, who was one of the um, sort of rising stars, got the Democratic nomination. She's at 2%. I mean, she's behind Paul Soglin, the hippy-dippy mayor of Madison. So you wonder, again, to the extent you believe this, um, Tammy Baldwin leads both Vukmir and Nicholson by around 10 points. But the interesting number with Tammy Baldwin is on job performance, her unfavorable rating is higher than her favorable rating, 43 to 41 percent, which which is telltale. 
Governor Walker, big win in this poll for the first time in years. His popularity, his approval rating is higher than his disapproval rating, and that's exactly where you want to be at this time of the election season. Here's the other interesting number from the poll that I think underscores how difficult it is going to be, certainly to beat Scott Walker, and maybe how difficult it's going to be to unseat you know any incumbent. Um, it's always the you know right direction, wrong direction question. Is the state on the right track or the wrong track? And because as a general rule, if if people are feeling good about the direction of their community, their country, their state, you know, then they, they tend to you know not want to make radical changes in that. So um Marquette University Law School poll asks the the classic right direction, wrong direction. 52% of the people say overall Wisconsin is headed in the right direction. 42% think the state is on the wrong track. That's a pretty good spread. And it's similar to what it was when they last polled in March. It was 53-44. So it's essentially unchanged by a, a relatively significant majority. Um, people believe Wisconsin is on the right track. And, um, you know, that's that's a good thing. Now, they also ask polls about, you know, Actan and Foxconn and things like that. And the results are apparently a little bit more nuanced. But bottom line is, appears that people approve of the job that Scott Walker is doing and approve of the direction the state is taking. And um, that probably bodes well for Governor Walker. But I know he's not going to be taking anything for granted as to his challengers. Lots of work. Lots of work needs to be done. And I think the same thing would apply to um, same thing would apply to uh, the people who are running in the Republican primary to challenge Tammy Baldwin. It is going to be an interesting election cycle, no question about that. All right, if you are driving in downtown Milwaukee, you better be careful because the flop, I mean the hop, is starting to run. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. Twelve fifty two. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, if you're driving around downtown Milwaukee, or if you have been for the last several months, and it seems like, especially to the east of the river, the entire city has been torn up as we are putting in these streetcar tracks. We have gone way back to the past, and of course, as we all know, Tom Barrett, this is going to be his legacy. He wants to put in the streetcar that he thinks is going to revitalize the city, and Many of us just believe it is a giant white elephant that 20 years from now, uh, the next mayor or two mayors from now and the common council are going to be saying, let's let's tear this up. Let's take this thing out because it's nobody's riding it and nothing is being accomplished by it. But in any event, we are going to have, what do they call it, the flop? No, they call it the hop. So they're, they're starting their practice runs of, of the streetcar. It's not available for people to ride, not that anybody's going to ride it, but they're now putting out, I'm looking at the Journal Sentinel, they're, they're telling people, okay, now you've got this streetcar, so you need to be careful. So they're giving must-dos for motorists. When making a left turn along the streetcar route, be on the lookout for both streetcars and vehicles that may be approaching from the opposite direction. Hmm. When parking on the route, Make sure your vehicle is inside the striping on the road. Otherwise, bad things will happen when the streetcar runs into your car. Um, When opening your car door, look out for streetcars that may be approaching behind you. How long is it before somebody opens the door and boom, that streetcar takes off the door? 
Never park your vehicle on streetcar tracks, not even for a little bit. Pay attention to private markings along the route. Okay, um, pedestrians, stay alert. Only cross the streetcar tracks at designated crossroads. Never cross or run in front of an approaching streetcar. Take a break from electronic devices. Remove your headphones so you can hear the streetcar warning bells. <laughs> okay, um, wonderful. Cyclists. So this is a highlight for those of you who are cycling. Cyclists should cross streetcar tracks as upright and close to a 90-degree angle as possible and avoid riding bikes between the tracks. Tracks can become slippery when wet, and smaller tires can potentially get caught in these streetcar tracks. So that's it. We're going to have the 2.1-mile streetcar line that runs from essentially the bus depot to uh, a portion of the east side. It runs along a route, as I've said many times, that, that nobody's going to want to travel on. It's going to disrupt traffic. It's going to disrupt parking. It's going to, well, you're going to have to pay a lot of attention because now, in addition to all the crazy drivers that are out there, you're going to have this streetcar that's going to be carrying, you know, carload and carloads of air be traveling through the city, and you're going to have to pay attention to that. It is going to be interesting to see how this entire thing plays out. Not not initially when the streetcar first makes its runs, because my guess is you're going to see, oh, images of all sorts of happy people riding for, for free. But, you know, after a little while, and especially after the Potawatomi stops subsidizing this, you're going to be curious to see if there's anybody really riding the streetcar um, other than homeless people trying to get out of the cold during the winter. I am kind of skeptical of that. But the bottom line is, if you're downtown, first you've been looking for construction barrels and torn up streets. Now you got to watch out for the streetcar because it is out and about the hop or the flop or whatever you want to call it, starting to become a reality. Thank you, Tom Barrett. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, what was this Milwaukee police officer thinking? Stick around. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, there's a couple jobs that I always i am glad I don't have to do. For example, it's like the criminal defense attorney who his client has just been arrested and they're leading them out and they've got, you know, they're covered in blood and stuff and the, the criminal defense attorney has to say, well, you know, my, my, my client maintains his or her innocence. There's nothing to see here. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's like the, um, the guy that was representing the woman who, who was running against John Jagler, uh, state representative. And you remember the story, the mm-hmm. Jagler, um, they start, you, you, need, you need to have 200 valid signatures to get on the ballot. She turns in 201, which is, is sort of a red flag. You never, and then it turns out that a whole bunch of them are, are, appear to be forged and they're like names of Jagler's supporters, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, so, and there's just a ton of them. So, um, you know, Jagler appropriately files a complaint with the elections board and the, the woman lawyers up and she hires this lawyer and I see him on the news. He's like, Oh, my, you know, my, my client looks forward to being on the ballot, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and she's, you know, she's going to vigorously defend this and looks forward to being on the ballot. And then they don't even challenge the election boards. It's never mind, you know, mm-hmm. and she's history. All right. Well, um, it, it's lawyers and it's also the political spin meister. So, the Marquette University Law School poll just just came out, yep, right? Yep. We've been we've been talking a little bit about the numbers, and and my kind of take on this is it's 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 very very fluid. A lot of undecided voters. The primaries not till August. The, the campaign really the TV ads haven't been going up in large measure. I mean, lots of stuff can happen. But one of the races that we've been talking about, of course, is the race between 
Kevin Nicholson and Leah Vukmir in an effort to challenge Tammy Baldwin. Okay, so the the numbers that are out there, Nicholson head to head, and there's lots of undecideds, but he leads Vukmir thirty seven to thirty two percent. He's ahead. Okay, he's ahead. Mm-hmm. And in the race, when they do the head to head with Baldwin versus either one of them, um, Baldwin is ahead of Nicholson fifty to thirty nine. He's ahead of Vukmir forty nine to forty. So I mean, it's all. You know, it's she's winning by essentially the same margin. Sure, okay, yep. but but Nicholson's ahead. So, all right. So I'm my my email after these numbers come out. You know, you you get all these emails from the the, the political class and stuff like this. So I, I have I have an email from Vukmir spokesperson. Okay, and and again, I, I take no position in this race. I was applauding the ad that Leah was running, but okay, she's behind Nicholson by five points, and she and Nicholson both lose. Under this poll by by nine or ten points. Okay, so yeah, take it for what it is. So here's the the spin from the, the the Vukmir people. The Marquette Law poll today showed what we've been saying: the momentum in the U.S. Senate race is with Leah, who the poll shows that Leah is the better candidate to take on Tammy Baldwin, outperforming Nicholson. Yeah, Leah loses by ten points. Nicholson loses by eleven. Okay. Every poll since she has won the endorsement of the Republican Party of Wisconsin shows Leah gaining traction. Her message is certainly resonating while being significantly outspent. Since the last MU lost poll, Leo is in, Leah has increased her percentage points by 13 points compared to Nicholson's 9. The new poll also showed the race in a statistical dead heat, given the margin of error for the head-to-head matchup is 6.9%. Okay, mm-hmm. she's behind by, like, 5 points, you know, but... But it's like, hey, this is all sunshine and roses. Yeah, yeah it always is. It you you got—I mean, you got to give these people. It's kind of like, okay, well, how how do we come up and how do we spin this? And again, it, it, it's an early race, but I I do like Leah is the better candidate based on these poll numbers to take on Tammy Baldwin. She loses by nine points. The other guy loses by ten. <laughs> okay, I'm just. <laughs> well, I like all well, the polls don't matter, but if they did, uh, right, this like is to, what we would do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, polls don't matter, but yes, 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 yes. So anyways, that I was just kind of coming. And again, I I take no position on this race one way or the other. It's just it's interesting to see the way some of this kind of stuff ends up getting spun. All right, let us take on a difficult subject that I want to have an honest conversation with you about. In I, I think if you're a regular listener to this program, you you know my background and one of the. Um, criticisms I get from time to time is that I am accused of being too pro-police. And I I don't really know how you can be too pro-police. But, I mean, I appreciate what a difficult job it is that that police have to do. And I also appreciate oftentimes you get second-guessed. And, you know, it's one thing to make a decision when you and your partner are running down an alley chasing somebody who you believe to have just committed a serious crime and you have to make a decision based on, you know, a split second thing. And it's easy to kind of Monday morning quarterback that, you know, three weeks later, four weeks later and say, why did you do this? So I'm always very, very sympathetic about about that. And I, I acknowledge I, I tend to give the police the benefit of the doubt, in part because a, a lot of the problems I see with citizen police interaction are caused by the citizens. If you just do what the police officer asks you to do, 95, 98, 99% of the time, if it, re- if it results in a situation, it's not going to result in that situation. If, if a police citizen encounter goes bad, it's almost always because, at least initially, the citizen 
didn't do what the police officer asked them to do. They ran. They fought. They resisted. Whatever it is. Whereas if you just complied, it would not have escalated. Now, that's not to say that the cops are always right. We know that to not be the case. But let's say that you are the subject of an illegal stop and you're illegally detained. All right, you're subject of of a stop that turns out to be illegal without probable cause, reasonable suspicion, or whatever. Well, okay, if you run, if you fight, if you struggle, you make the matter worse. You're going to escalate it. Instead, if you just kind of go with the flow, well, then you can always unravel this. You can hire the lawyer. You can sue the police department. You can do whatever. But when you escalate this by not complying with what the officer tells you to do, again, if the officer is wrong and officers are wrong from time to time, you're going to have redress. You're going to be able to sort it out. But when you create an incident at the scene or you flee or whatever, you make the situation infinitely worse. So I'm, I'm always, I appreciate that. Now let's talk for a minute about the Sterling Brown situation. I, I think, you know, we start off with the premise that Sterling Brown, last January, the Bucks player, he is in the wrong. He's at the all-night Walgreens buying whatever he's buying. He's parked across two handicapped parking spaces. He deserves to get a ticket. Police officer rolls up on him. The first police officer who arrives on the scene, I think, has a bit of an attitude. I think that kind of came through. Sterling Brown has a bit of an attitude. All right? So I think I think there's a little bit of fault all around. Then what happens is where the thing escalates dramatically. The police officer apparently calls for backup, and it seems like the entire district shows up. All of a sudden, you got eight or nine police officers there for somebody who's illegally parked across a handicapped parking space, and then the officers don't leave. The supervisors that arrive on the scene, instead of recognizing that you don't need half the district to take care of whatever the situation is, and says and, and saying, I mean, whoever, whatever supervisor arrived on that scene should have immediately recognized what was going on and realized that you didn't need half the department and should have sent... Almost everybody, if not everybody, back out on patrol instead of having everybody just kind of gather around in the circle where you've got the the one guy who's not menacing the police. Okay, so yeah, that's that's where this all starts. Then you've got a couple other police officers that I think have an attitude. Sterling Brown, I think, had a bit of an attitude, and and it just kind of goes from there. He gets tasered. I. Based on what I've seen on the videos, I don't understand why they felt there was need to taser him. I, I just don't. Don't see him acting in a threatening sort of fashion. I don't know why they needed to tase him. Then you've got the thing about one of the police officers standing on his ankle for a period of time. Don't know why they needed to do this. This was a situation that there's probably blame to go around in the beginning. And then the police, instead of solving the situation, they allow it to escalate. And 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 candidly, there's not a lot of excuse for that. I think number of people, I don't care if you're, you know, I don't care how pro-police you are. I think if you're being objective, you can't look at this and not say, eh, this was not handled well. And even if you want to say Sterling Brown deserves some blame, and I think he does, you can't not look at this and say, why were they doing this and why were they doing that? All right, so in any event, the incident ends. All right, it, it's it's over. Sterling Brown is taken away. Situation is over. And then, at least according to the allegations of the lawsuit, one of the police officers who was involved in this decides to take to social media, posts um, 
posts apparently on Facebook um, under the officer's name, posts something on Facebook that says, nice meeting Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning. Laugh out, LLOL, laugh out loud. Hashtag fear the deer. Okay, this is one of the, my producer, Gru, who's producing the show today, he's just shaking his head. I mean, it's just... Uh, th- this is this is supposedly a professional law enforcement officer who's just been involved in this situation, who decides, presumably on his own time, but decides that he's going to go on social media and post, nice meeting Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning, LOL, laugh out loud, hashtag fear the deer. Okay. All right. Then, then, after the department releases the video of this, which draws... A lot of criticism, controversy. We talked about it extensively. The same, the same police officer decides once again to go on social media. Uh, this occurred after just going back. First round, the final round of the NBA playoffs. First game, J.R. Smith plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Maybe you will remember the situation. The score is tied. He gets a rebound of a missed free throw. Instead of putting the shot up and trying to score, he loses track of the score. He thinks the Cavaliers are ahead. He tries to dribble out the clock. The game goes into overtime. The Cavaliers lose. Huge bonehead move. No question about it. So the same officer who went on social media and posted, nice meeting Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning, laugh out loud, hashtag fear the deer, goes on social media and says, I hope J.R. Smith double parks in Walgreens handicapped parking spots when he's in Milwaukee. I, I, it, it's, almost, it, it's almost like the guy decides, here, I'm going to try to make the police department look bad. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not believe this is one of the officers who, as of yet, has been subject to discipline. But if you are the police chief, what do you do with this officer who has made these various postings, allegedly, which are now the subject of, you know, it's it's going to be it's it's part of this lawsuit. And it's going to be one of the things that they're going to try to present to the jury if this case goes to trial, showing the hostility that at least certain members of the Milwaukee Police Department had towards Sterling Brown. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident that's Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there any way you can, is this defensible in any way? Should the officer be held accountable? Should he lose his job? What do you do? Now, he was on his own time, I think, when he posted these things, but he posted this stuff, especially the first one, in light of something that happened on the job. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. What do you do? It's 121. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Jim and Franklin. Jim, hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, I think it's boneheaded. Of, <laughs> uh, 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 it's a boneheaded move, and I think it really shows a very a lack of professionalism. Yeah. And um, my son wants to go into law enforcement, and uh, I, I hope that he doesn't have to work with anyone like that in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, boneheaded is, is, I think, a charitable way to try. I mean, I, I'm looking at this, and this is some programmer who has a background in law enforcement. I'm thinking, what could this guy have, have been thinking? I mean, you know, 
you could you could you be sober? How, why would anybody rationally immediately after the situation occurs? Nice meeting Sterling Brown and the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning. Laugh out loud, fear the deer. What could somebody have been thinking to post something like that? I one can only guess, but I think he should be suspended for at least two weeks without mm-hmm. Dave. You wouldn't fire him. You would suspend him. Yeah, I wouldn't fire him. The other guys weren't fired, so I, right. I don't think that uh, this rises to that level. But I do think he should be disciplined. Um, thanks to call. I appreciate. It. Well, that you know, right? Nobody's been fired, and the, the worst suspension thus far has been the two supervisors who arrived on the scene. Who got one of them? I think did get get two weeks suspended without pay. This officer hasn't been disciplined, at least for what he did on the scene. But I will tell you. I mean, I I agree. I I don't know if it's two weeks, and I, I'm not going to come out and say he should be fired. But I will tell you this this action embarrasses the Milwaukee Police Department. It it does. It is a huge embarrassment. And I think if the Sterling Brown matter goes to trial, this is going to be the type of thing that is going to cost the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee a whole bunch of money because if it is admitted, my guess is it probably will be, it's going to be admitted on the theory of this is the way the Milwaukee Police Department decided to treat this client. And, you know, that, that would be my argument. If I was representing Sterling Brown, look, I mean, this was, they took a routine traffic ticket and they turned it into this. And, and look, here they are mocking the man. And, yeah, I, I mean, it makes, it is embarrassing to the police department. And I do think Chief Morales needs to do something. And I don't take any pleasure in saying that. I don't. Let's talk to Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I guess doing this, would have to be the most stupid police officer on the face of the earth to do that. And I'm wondering, is there any way that someone could have hacked into his email and did it and he didn't do it? I guess I'm trying to hopefully that that is true. Well, except it's not just that posting. It's after, you know, after, even after, okay, so that's the the, the first thing comes out that the, the morning after the arrest. But then... You know, he goes back to social media, apparently, and at least allegedly, you know, after the video comes out, he's back saying, well, J.R. Smith might not, must better not be parking in any handicapped parking space. He goes back and does it again. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you would think it is so dumb and so just unbelievably stupid to do this that maybe it has to be a hack. But then, of course, there's all sorts of these things. Maybe it's just that the guy has the impulse control of a fruit fly. Well, yeah, and if he, and if it's not hacked, he does. He has the he has the brain of a fruit fly. I mean, so, so do you fire him? Do you suspend him? Absolutely. Do you discipline him? Absolutely. I'd fire his story, you know what. <laughs> okay, thanks for the call. All right, we're going to continue this. 414-799-1620. Again, I don't take pleasure in having this conversation. I am pro-police officer. I defend police officers on many occasions because I, I think sometimes we tend to second-guess these situations. But in this particular case, the use of social media in this fashion has embarrassed, in my opinion, the Milwaukee Police Office, the, the Milwaukee Police Department, the men and women who have a very difficult job, and in my opinion, do it pretty darn well. And it has the potential to cost the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee a whole bundle of money. And, and yes, yes, I think the chief needs to step up and do something. It's 128. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Brian in Milwaukee. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you? Good. What do you think? I, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, he didn't threaten him. He didn't say I arrested him. He 
simply said, I met him. Well, he, he said, nice meeting Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning. Laugh out loud. Hashtag fear the deer. Right. It, it's just a, a stupid phrase. He shouldn't have done it. But, I mean, it's just a phrase. It, it just He just posted something. Well, but what, what, what do you think his intent was? He didn't meet him. He... I mean, let, let, let's keep in mind the context. It's not like, you know, he met him at a boys and girls club thing the night before. He, he came into contact with him at 2.30 in the morning. Um, there was a confrontation. He Brown was tased. Somebody stood on his ankle. There was a, a kind of back and forth, and you can blame Brown for some of it, but the cops were engaged in an ongoing dialogue that I think you could argue wasn't very professional, and, and he was arrested and taken into custody. I mean, that's the context. You don't see this. He, he's clearly making fun of him and mocking him, don't you think? I, I truly don't. I, I think he just he thought it was the people that he knew that he was making a post of. He went on there and said, you know. So what's the like laugh out? What does it mean, laugh out loud? What, what, is laugh out well, la- if, if, what does laugh out loud, fear the deer mean? Well, fear the deer is one of the Bucks logos. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. Like no, but but when you put laugh out loud before that, isn't he mocking it? There's nothing to be scared about. Um, I met him at work this morning. Huh. I really, I don't see it as that terrible, or you know, the you know, the second comment I thought is much more provocative. Right, the one about the one about J.R. Smith and their career. Yep. Okay. All right. Th- thanks for the call. I all right. I mean, am I I'm willing to know. Am I overreacting? I mean, you know, Brian says. Well, I, I don't see that there's anything wrong with this. I mean, he the, the, the statement was, nice meeting Sterling Brown of the Milwaukee Bucks at work this morning. Laugh out loud. Hashtag fear the deer. The way I interpret this, and, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into this, I interpret this that you had a police officer who had come into contact with somebody who was semi-famous and who was mocking him. Um, enough, well, laugh out loud. You know, we, we took him down. Um, he didn't meet him. They were in the process of arresting him. No, I think this was, I don't think there's any way that you can reasonably look at this without seeing that he was trying to mock and make fun of Sterling Brown. It's, it's, again, it's not like, oh, I will post things on Twitter occasionally saying, hey, I, I was at the, um, I was at the, uh, Army Navy banquet, the, the Navy, uh, week banquet and I, I met, uh, the former astronaut Jim Lovell. Great to meet him. Okay. Well, all right. That that means exactly that, but but this is the, the context of this was you had a large number of cops who came upon Sterling Brown and then tasered him and took him into custody. No, I think he was trying to mock him, and I think most people on that jury are going to interpret it the way I do. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mark in Brookfield. Hi, Mark. Yeah. Good afternoon. This I completely disagree with this last caller, and and they should fire his story, but immediately. My late father was Milwaukee cop, and he was on duty even when he was sleeping, just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. He always carried a sidearm with him. And this is like Boris Junior High School behavior, and these people represent the city of Milwaukee. And to, to allow someone like that on the street with that kind of mindset, you're going you're to trust him to carry a sidearm and make a logical decision. You carried a gun. You know how terrifying that must have been to make sure that you did everything you were supposed to do properly if you ever needed to use that gun and to make that kind of comment denigrates what yeah. you're supposed to be doing 
Right, and, and you, right, you're, you're with me. You don't see any there, – there's no reasonable interpretation of that as other than mocking the guy that you've just taken you, – you've arrested a famous guy. Ha, 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 there's nothing to be we're, – we're not afraid of the deer. We, we took this guy into custody. That's what he's saying. One of the problems that I see with all law enforcement lately, and, and the show Cops really mirrors that concern, is they seem overly cocky. Many times they do. I mean, the, the cops, when I was little and when you were little – they didn't act that way, and I don't know if it, ha- if, it, if it has anything to do with the way kids are raised nowadays. It, I don't think it has anything to do with their training. I feel sorry for the chief. Mm-hmm. I think he walked into a hornet's nest. Well, you know, and I, I'll, some people might disagree with me, Mark, but, I mean, I've heard the dialogue, you know, that, that went on in the stop, and, and my assessment was uh, the first police officer that rolled up had an attitude. Um, I, I, I don't know what he thought he was coming on. Maybe he thought, you know, this is like the guy's a drug dealer or, or whatever. I thought he had an attitude. I think Sterling Brown copped a bit of an attitude. But, I mean, I listened to some of the things that candidly were being said by those police officers on that scene, and it is strikingly unprofessional. It just it just is. You know, that, it denigrates the office. Well, well right. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, and it, it, does, it starts with the supervisors. Because, again, going back to how I started this conversation, <laughs> What you, you, you didn't have an armed drug dealer. Why they tasered him, I have no idea. I, I just don't. They had an attitude. Um, they were mocking him. Again, maybe he copped a bit of an attitude too. But you, why did you need half the district there? I mean, the, what should have happened is, soon as the first supervisor gets on the scene, you tell everybody else, nothing to see here. Go back to patrolling the rest of the city instead of surrounding this guy, and one thing ends up leading to another, and then what this police officer does is a flat-out embarrassment to the rest of the department. And I will tell you, for people like me who will routinely you know, use the vehicle I have, the forum I have, to defend police officers, this is the type of thing, because when you see stuff like this, people say, okay, this is the way all cops are. It's not the way all cops are. This was unprofessional in the extreme, and it's going to come back and bite the city taxpayers, I am afraid, in a big way. And, yes, I think there needs to be some significant discipline for this police officer who I think has embarrassed the rest of the department. You know, period. Let's talk to Barry on the east side. Barry, you're on WTMJ. Well, I was, one thing I've noticed, it seems like the one reason they may have wanted to tase them is because they can brag that they taste somebody famous. And so I agree with you on a lot of what you said. And I think I think the other thing, I'm glad that uh, the chief and the press have avoided naming these people because that that's going to feed into their desire for fame. Yeah, I mean, his name, the, the officer's name is included. I just decided not to mention. I mean, it's included in the... Um it's included in the criminal complaint, so it's a matter of public record, but it's, it's, I, I don't know that we need to put it out there and, until he's disciplined or something. If you were the chief, would you discipline this guy? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, thanks for calling. I, me, me too. <laughs> me too. Darren on the South Side. Darren, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing? Hi, Darren. I'm, I'm so glad that, the, well, first I want to say, of course, the cops should be fired. And the reason why he did it, because he know he can get away with it. I'm so glad that the last guy said that he, t- he tased him. So he can taste, so he can taste somebody famous. Everybody in the neighborhood knows this cop, and he loves to taste people. That's his thing. 
And he knows he's going to get away with this because, and don't take offense to this, okay? I'm okay. just telling you from my side of the fence. He knows that that guy, just like that guy that said, oh, I don't see anything wrong with it. He knows that that guy and a few other guys just like him are going to defend him to the end. So he's going to do it. it, it that's right. just how some of these cops feel. Now, you know. Now, I just want to just stop you for just a second. I'm not sure. Matter of fact, I don't think that the officer that did the posting was actually the officer that tased him. But I, but, 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 but he was right, on the but, scene. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Oh, right. Okay. And, 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 and also too, and like I said, don't take offense to this. No. In, in, in some of the the uh, suburban communities, they play lawn darts with these with these cops. They they have bonfires. They know these cops is that's Officer Timpson. He's the nicest guy ever. But they don't know Officer Timpson when he comes to the quote unquote hood, how he acts. And sometimes I hear you guys say, uh, black people are taught to hate the cops. No, man. We know to stay away from them people, from them cops, because we know they're gonna get away with it. Mm-hmm. It's not that we it's not that we don't trust it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not that we get taught that. My mother and father didn't teach me to hate the cops. My mother and father told me to watch out and be careful. So yeah, this this cop knows he's gonna get away with it and a whole bunch of other cops just like that know that they're going to get that just like that last guy. Oh, he didn't mean it like that. Mm-hmm. He has well, a tough job. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Darren. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I agree with you about a lot of stuff, but the one thing I, I do, but the one, but the one thing I do agree with you on is for people who see the the police in the light that you kind of do. This type of stuff is ammunition for that and i get it i mean no i, I get true, it i mean I, well no I, no but the thanks but, but i understand but i mean I, I i understand i can't talk you out of that and i and i get it because this is the type of thing that you know you can point to and say okay jeff you know you you say that we should just you know do what the police officers tell us you don't understand what it's like on the street and you've got these police officers are racist who are doing this type of stuff and i say no i think that's unfair and you say look at what this guy did and I don't have too much of an answer for you. So I mean, that's that's I, I mean, and I'm 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 willing to give you that. Um, I don't know what the chief is going to do, but he's got to do something. Um, and I, I think now, because again, not only has if if this happened as it is alleged to have happened in the in the lawsuit, um, it, it's going to cost the taxpayers money. It is embarrassing the Milwaukee Police Department, and you you wonder. Again, it plays into and fuels the attitudes that so many people have about police, and we just don't need that in this community or in any community. And in this case, it's completely and totally self-inflicted. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 150, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the world's largest music festival. That would be Summerfest is right around the corner, and we want to send you there all this week during the 4 at 10 segment on his program, Steve Scafidi will be giving away four packs of tickets to the big gig. Even if you don't win, don't forget to come see us at the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. We'll be broadcasting live throughout the entire run of the festival. Okay, now, now Gru is producing the show. That, that liner that I just read, it doesn't say the word Summerfest. There, there's not, there's not, we're, we're a partner of them. They don't care if I say Summerfest. We just, whoever wrote the liners wanted to be subtle and not mention that it's Summerfest. Okay, well, it's Summerfest. It's also the world's largest music festival. It's a big gig, but it is Summerfest. Summerfest starts a week from today, and we will be broadcasting live throughout the run of the show. Now, I'm not going to be down there a week from today because there's an early Brewers game, so we're going to do a half-hour show back at the studio. But then a week from tomorrow, I will be down there and several days the following week. So looking forward to that. 
always just a great time at Summerfest. There's a story in the news today that I, I just I wanted to mention just in passing because as as somebody who has spent most of his life here, there are there are businesses that are institutions and you, you just always think that they're always going to going to be there. And I, I, every once in a while on my uh, Pop Culture Corner segment on we do it Fridays at 2.30, you know, we'll take a walk down memory lane and we'll talk about, you know, things things that used to be that, that you miss. And you will talk about restaurants and we'll talk about bars and stores and things like that. It, it is amazing to me how how things can, in fact, change. And it's just kind of the nature of society. I, I think back on all the different banking institutions, the different banks that have been here over the years, including like the the big banks. You know, you had you had first. You know, I remember first Wisconsin, um, which you know is now U.S. Bank, but it was first Wisconsin, then it was First Star. You had the it was the first Wisconsin building. You know that the big you know the big high rise kind of by the lake, and then of course first Wisconsin just sort of went away, and now it's U.S. Bank, um, Marine Bank, used to be just a, a huge. Huge banking operation, had branches all over. Well, Marine Bank, what is that? Is, is that now Chase? That might have been taken over by Chase. But Marine Bank is just just gone. Uh, of course, the one that I think still gets a lot of attention is um, M&I Bank, Marshall and Ilsley Bank, which was a, a locally owned and controlled bank that a lot of us did business with and just loved. Well, that got taken over, merged with, whatever, and now it's BMO Harris, you know, based out of Toronto. Now, again, I'm... Whenever you lose that that local element, you you lose something. But I mean, you sit back and you think, okay. I, mean, I remember when I was growing up. I mean, again, the big banks were. You'd have M and I gone. You'd have Marine gone. You'd have First Wisconsin gone. Now I understand that they're still there in spirit, but uh, under those names and under those operations, I bring this up because you know another uh, bank slash savings and loan that has just been a, a part of the landscape around here for as long as I can remember, um, Bank Mutual. And Bank Mutual, the name pretty much goes away this weekend. Bank Mutual was um, you know, taken over by Associated Bank. And matter of fact, there's a story in the paper today. With signage at Bank Mutual branches set to change and the bank's computer system prepped for conversion to Associated Banks this weekend, the name Bank Mutual is about to join First Star, M&I, Anchor Bank, and others on a growing list of prominent brands that have disappeared from the Wisconsin banking landscape. The remaining elements of the Brown Deer Bank, Brown Deer-based Bank Mutual, are scheduled to begin merging into Green Bay's Associated Bank on Friday after Bank Mutual branches close at 3 p.m. If all goes as planned, by Monday morning, Bank Mutual once the state's third largest bank will have faded into banking history by folding into Associated Bank, which is Wisconsin's largest financial institution. So, um, you know, Bank Mutual, gone. And again, it, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. In this case, you still have, you have Wisconsin ownership, but you do lose that local element of ownership, and I think that's never a good thing. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just another Milwaukee institution going by the wayside, showing that uh, the change 
change just continues. Um, change is constant, and we can argue whether it's good or bad. But for all those of you who, like me, you know, used to have my first bank account was at Bank Mutual. Gone. If you got that old passbook, if you got the old checks, just keep them as a souvenir because Bank Mutual is no more. Gone, but perhaps not forgotten. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. In the next hour of the program, we've got a lot of different things I want to discuss. <clears throat> is video gaming an addiction? What do we do with Wisconsin National Guard troops? Another situation where juveniles decide it's a good idea to run from the police and lots, lots more. Stick around. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, we are, we being Milwaukee, one of now the three finalists to host the 2020 Democratic National Convention. That is correct. Oh, yeah, they had announced four cities, Denver, Houston, Miami Beach, and Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Denver dropped out. Denver said, we're not interested because we've got other conflicts. So that leaves... Houston, Miami Beach, and Milwaukee. So what do you think? Well, funny you should ask that. I, I think there's, uh, let's let's kind of be honest. I mean, the, the, the big thing that Milwaukee has going for it is that the uh, the chairman of Milwaukee's 2020 DNC convention bid is, is Alex Lazary from the Bucks, huge Democratic contributor. I mean, an enormous Democratic contributor. So I, I think, you know, to the extent there are strings that you can pull, you know, Lazary can probably pull some of those strings. What about which one of those three states is an actual swing state? Could argue Wisconsin more than the other two. You, you could, and I'll, I'll give you something else that Wisconsin, that Milwaukee has going for it. Do you know what the weather is like in both Miami Beach and in Houston in July? Oh, God. I mean, you're you're talking about 100 degrees and 100-degree humidity. I mean, now I understand that we have these things called air conditioning and stuff like that, but July is not... To typically the time that you want to go to Miami Beach or that you want to go to Houston. So you've got Alex Lazary, who's, you know, I think you, you need about $50 million to pull this off, and I, there's, there's going to be a committee raising money, but my, my guess is Lazary and a couple of his buddies could just reach into their pockets and come up with the $50 million. I, so that would be my guess. You've got, like you say, the swing state thing, and you've got um, the my issue with the weather, which I, I don't – I think that's a factor. I mean, if I was planning a convention, would I? Would you go to Houston in July? You know? No. Yeah, right. yeah. I know. So I mean, I just think now. I, I, I don't know. At the same time, I mean, Houston and Miami Beach are, are much bigger and yeah, <laughs> and fun places. Yeah. Um. Uh. But you know, you could. I mean, Florida. Arguably, Florida is a big swing. You know, I mean, Florida is a swing state too. Theoretically, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the the road to the White House. Typically, if you're a Republican, you got to win Florida. The uh, 2016 event in Philadelphia, they say 54,000 people showed up, and um, they say it generated $231 million worth of economic activity. So it's um, it's even, big. It's yeah, a big deal. Yeah, it, it is a big deal. And even if you want to say that that's overblown, um, I, I mean, it's still um, it's a lot of people. So I don't feel, how I feel about this, I think, Eric, it's kind of like how I feel about the Chicago Cubs coming up, to, the Cub fans coming up to Miller Park. You know, I mean, that's kind of how I look at this. It's sort of like, well, okay, I hope the Brewers win, um, but if if you know if you're going to come up here, that's fine. Spend a bunch of money, yeah. have a good time, see you later. That's kind of how I feel about Democrats coming to Milwaukee. All right, you know, come in, spend a whole bunch of money, go check out everything, and. And we'll see you a few days later on. I hope the Republicans win in November of 2020, but spend some money along the way. 
That's sort of how I feel. I don't. I don't know. Obviously, not my side of the aisle. I don't know what decisions go into it. But I mean, I don't think if if you can get past the hotel rooms and you know, is there apparently they they'd consider using a new Bucks Arena. That would be that they wouldn't have this at the convention center. It would be at the Bucks Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, I mean, I I can see that. I mean, I I, I, I mean, it depends. I think, I mean, Lazary is the driving force behind that. Oh, I for think. sure. And they believe they can get the hotel space. They believe that can be taken care of. Yeah, and it, because it'd be a regional thing. Now, you mm-hmm. might, I mean, I went to, I was an alternate delegate to the Republican National Convention in San Diego in, um, it was when Bob Dole was nominated. So what would that 96. be? That was 96. Yeah, it was 96. And because, uh, Mike Reby, who used to be the chairman of the the state republic, he, he was on the national committee thing, and he was responsible for um, assigning the hotels. The Wisconsin delegation had had hotels right in the heart nice. of downtown. No, it was great. <laughs> I mean, no, it, it was really nice. But I mean, and they they had some that were just. But I mean, they 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 would bus people in. I mean, they had some people in San Diego that were staying. I mean, probably twenty thirty miles away. But you know, I mean, you know, you you'd put people in. You'd put people in Waukesha. I mean, sure. you'd, you'd use the region and stuff. Now, is it exciting, though, having all those people together? I mean, was San Diego just buzzing? Um, I had a blast. I mean, I, I did. I mean, it was it, it was kind of it was it was very, very cool. And they had um, they had all sorts of activities for the delegates. I mean, they you know, because, you know, the, the different delegations, there were different like parties and mm-hmm. stuff that you would like that, that you would go to. Like there was this God, there was this house on the hills outside of San Diego that some really, I mean, it, it had to be a $50 million house if it was a dime. I mean, really. And, you know, there, there were like, the, the swimming pool was four-tiered. Honest, honest, I mean, I've never seen, and you got invited to this thing, and it's kind of like you're you're walking around and you're afraid that you're going to spill your drink or something. And, but no, it was it was a it was a very cool experience. I mean, I did it once, and I'm glad I had an opportunity to do it once. So sure. it, I think people would have a lot of fun. I, I, like I say, I, I, I hope we get it. If you bring 54,000 people here, all spending money. I mean, the truth is, you know, at that point in time, from our perspective, you're not blue, you're not red, it's green. And I, I, I would welcome that. So uh, what, what can, can you keep track? I got to think that Milwaukee is still a long shot for that. But, um, you know, Houston, Miami Beach, and Milwaukee are the three finalists. So yeah, who, who knows? Stranger things have, in fact, happened. All right, as long as we are talking about traveling to, to different communities, there's an interesting story out of, of Wausau that I wanted to share with you and use that as the start of a, a conversation that we're going to have. Um, there's this in downtown Wausau of all places. And I was um, actually, I was um, in Omaha a few weeks ago and I ran into, I, I was, I was talking to this couple, they're doctors out in Marshfield, you know, out in, in Wausau. They live outside of Wausau. We were, we were actually talking about Wausau. So I was thinking about them when the story rolled around. Apparently in downtown Wausau, the parking is a complete and total nightmare. They have parking meters that are around, and, and apparently the, the way the city is set up, some of the meters are like two hours, some of the meters, oh, Gru, you know about this? You are from, oh, my producer, Gru, is that's right, you are from Wausau, and it, it is a nightmare. Okay, all right. I mean, the way, I mean, some parking meters are two hours, some are hours, some are 15 minutes, and the description, there's no rhyme or reason be, behind it, you know, and and it, it's created this huge issue for downtown merchants because they're all hacked off because for, you know, people, you know, if people want to come down into the area, 
that you know that you, you park at the wrong meter, and next thing you know, you're looking at a you're looking at a parking ticket and all. So anyhow, there's a bar in downtown Wausau, and what they've done is, is the owner is hacked off at at the at the city, and they can't the business people downtown can't get the city to standardize the parking meters for whatever. So what this one bar is doing is they say, okay, look, we can't take care of you know we can't change the parking, but here's here's the deal: if you get a ticket. Bring the ticket in, and we'll give you half off your drink. <laughs> drink for half price, and we'll give you a stamp and an envelope to mail in your parking ticket and your payment. So, you know, we, we can't do anything about the ticket, but we'll, we'll kind of make it, it painless. And so that's, that's what they say. Um, they, they're hanging outside the bar. They've got an old parking ticket and an old parking meter, and the sign says, attention, parking ticket. Bring it on in. We'll give you half off a drink and mail it for you. We have stamps, envelopes, and bartenders. So that's the way, you know, they are responding. It is a creative way of trying to, what's the cliche, make lemonade out of out of lemons. I, I was talking about this with, with somebody because, obviously, parking is a huge issue here to the point that this is how they are dealing with this. I have I have believed that from a perspective of a business, whether you run a store, whether you run a restaurant, whether you run a bar, one of the key things for most businesses is is accessibility. If you are in an area where there's limited parking uh, because of traffic or, or whatever or almost no parking or people don't feel safe parking their cars and having to walk three blocks, I think it is a huge impediment to business. One of the things that I have always complained about, about downtown Milwaukee, is because parking revenue is a budget item, what you have is you have some areas of the city, which are pretty much like Wausau, where maybe not it's not the, the variety of the parking meters, how long they are, but you know you have situations where it might be an hour parking meter, and if you go into one of the areas, one of the restaurants for lunch, you're probably not going to be able to get out in an hour. It's very difficult to do that. And you have these parking checkers who kind of, in my words, you know, chicken hawk the, the parking meters waiting for your hour to expire and then write you, you know, the ticket for 35 bucks or, or whatever. And I, I have always believed that that is counterproductive because I, I think parking is something, availability of parking is something that drives, no pun intended, how sometimes how people shop or where you go to restaurants. I know that if I'm deciding to go out for uh, a beer or dinner or whatever, and I'm choosing between different restaurants, if I know, for example, that parking is easy at one place or it's going to be a nightmare at somewhere else where I'm going to have to walk three or four blocks, I'm going to lean towards going to the place where you know, parking is easier. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Think about your own life. How important is availability of parking to you when you're making the decision about where you're going to shop and where you're going to you know, eat or where you're going to go and have a beer? If there is easy parking, does it make you more likely to go there or doesn't it matter? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, this is where I think cities miss the boat a lot. Um, they get what I'm going to call myopic. They say, okay, we want to get parking revenue or whatever. So we have all these meters up there, and we're going to write all these tickets, and we're going to generate the revenue. Well, yeah, they generate revenue, 
but they end up doing that at a cost to the local merchants because somebody gets the ticket and they say, I'm never coming back here to eat again. 414-799-1620. Is parking a factor that you consider when you're thinking about going out to eat or going shopping or whatever? It sure is for me. 414-799-1620. And at least there's this one business up in Wausau that realizes it is for their customers as well. How big a deal is parking? We're going to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 219. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. My producer, Gru, who's from Wausau. You know this place. Malarkey's Pub and Townies Grill. The merchants in downtown Wausau apparently are just so upset with the, the city because of these parking meters that they have and some are 15 minutes and some are an hour or some are two hours and they go around and they're aggressive issuing parking tickets that they've said hey look we can't fix the ticket but if you bring your ticket in we'll give you half price on a drink and we'll give you an envelope and a stamp to send the payment in for the parking ticket i see i i think this is as a general rule where cities are so well i mean again you're, you're not able to see the forest for the trees i guess if i was going to use this cliche because yes you can generate short-term parking revenue. That's fine. But the point of the ma- fact of the matter is people have all sorts of different choices. And I think the availability of parking, you want to be able to park close. You want to be able to not worry about feeding meters. And you want to be able to be relatively safe. That's some of the keys for, you know, making businesses work. And I know just in my personal life, you know, it, it could be the greatest restaurant in the world, but if it's one of these deals where I'm going to have to circle for 10, I'm either going to have to park a quarter mile away and walk, or I'm going to have to circle for an hour looking for some meter to feed, well, I, I am less inclined to go there. Does that mean I'll never go there? No. But it means it's kind of like, oh, well, we've got a couple different places to go. I'd like to go down to Gru's because I, I love the food he has, but... I know I'm not going to be able to park on the street, and it's going to be a 30-minute process trying to figure out some place to go, and it's just easy to go somewhere else. Let's see. We have a text here. A perfect example of parking hindering my decisions is the new downtown Shake Shack. I love it, but I never go there on weekends or peak hours because there's never easy parking around there. Yeah, I, um, you know, there's a, I don't, I just... I don't, there's a couple stores, there's a couple restaurants, some in that whole area of Canal Street down there, for example, and they're popular. It's limited parking, so that's good. You know, a lot of people go there, but I would be inclined to go there, but I know uh, unless you get there early or unless it's an off hour, off times, you're not going to be able to get a parking space. And all right, as much as I like some of these places or I like some of the stores, it's not worth walking. You know, again, 15 minutes for whatever the place, you know, whatever the place is. So bottom line is, you know, I mean, I think it makes a huge difference. And for these businesses who are taking this aggressive approach, if they can't get the city to be business friendly, well, that's super. And speaking of business friendly, all right, if you think parking's been bad in downtown Milwaukee before, all right, imagine what happens once Tom's Trolley Folly kicks off. Of course, again, they are telling you, you know, if you park along the streetcar lines, be sure to be close enough to the curb because if you're too far out, streetcar just might hit you. And be sure to look, you know, before you open your door because, well, streetcar might take that off as well. So if you thought parking was bad in Milwaukee before, um, just imagine what it's going to be after Tom's Trolley Folly starts running full time. Just saying. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers and the Pirates get set to wrap up their series from Pittsburgh. Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, has made the trip. He's on the call for the crew and the Pirates, and our Brewers coverage starts 5.30 tonight, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Okay, Gru is producing the show today and always. Um, you, okay, you know this bar in Wausau that we were talking about. All right, let's talk about local landmarks. The Oriental Theater. You ever been to the Oriental Theater? You're going tomorrow night. Well, um, is tomorrow night the last night? Tomorrow night's closing. You know it's closing. The, oh, he's... <laughs> He says, "Really? Well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie to you, no, Eric. You no, know, about- it's not closing forever. Don't, I didn't say it was closing forever. Yeah, but that's what you implied. People were getting scared there. I said me. it's. <laughs> I, I, I did, well, it, okay. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I said it was closing. I didn't say it was closing forever. Here is the deal. Um, after screenings on Thursday, so you're going tomorrow night, Grill. Uh, he's, he's, he's stunned with this. The Oriental Theater is closing Thursday." What's happened is it's it's being sold. It's the it's been run since the seventies by Landmark Theaters, and um, they're so for the last forty two years they have run it, and now it's going to be uh, the operator is going to be Milwaukee Film, which is the organization that runs the Milwaukee Film Festival. So they are closing it tomorrow. Um, it's going to be closed uh, through the rest of June. Through July, they don't have a day. They hope to reopen by August, and they say that they're going to do um, a bunch of work. Um, they don't know the date, but they're going to do some work in it. They're going to like try to improve the restrooms and the first floor concessions and things like that. Upgrade second floor restaurants. Do some restrooms. Do some work on it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be closed for at least. He didn't know, see Eric. He didn't know that. He was surprised. Yeah, you scared him. Well, you're gonna you're gonna be at least at the temporary. Well, it it, it look. I understand that it might reopen, but it is kind of the end of an era. I mean, again, this is another one of these things that, you know, Landmark has operated the Oriental since November of 1976. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up around here, you'd, you'd go to, you'd go to the movies at the Oriental. I saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show once at the midnight <laughs> showing. <laughs> once. Just once, okay. No, well, I, it, I, and, See, I didn't know what I, I actually kind of like Rocky Horror now. I had no idea what I was getting into. Okay, and a friend, we were there was a bar right around the across the street called Maury's, and we're you know we're, we're 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 drinking beers or whatever there. And my buddy says, my my buddy who passed away, John says, let's let's go over and see the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. And I walk in, and there's guys dressed like in drag, and it's like, what the blank did you bring me to here? And and it was, you know, and the thing ran until like two in the morning, and people were throwing crap at the screen. It, I didn't get it the first time I saw it. So, and it took me a while to to go back to to it after that. But yeah, they had had the Oriental Theater as well. At any event, yes, it is closing after Gru shows up tomorrow night, and then um, it will presumably reopen in August, uh, newer and better. So, another one of these. Uh, another one of these kind of changes. My guess is it'll still be the Oriental, yeah, but just under be. different management. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, for sure. They're going to put more time and invest in there. You'll see different movies there. Milwaukee Film is a a local, growing community. It'll be a good thing for moviegoers. Well, there you have it. Eric Bilstead says it's going to be a good thing. I'll I'll, I'll take your word for it. It's 2.31. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here is the aforementioned Eric Bilstead. Jeff, it's done. President Trump has signed an executive order stopping the administration's family separation process at the U.S. border. House Speaker Paul Ryan, by the way, says the House will vote on immigration tomorrow, and it will include something on the separation process as well. 
In head-to-head matchup, Senator Tammy Baldwin leads both Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson in the race for U.S. Senate. That according to the latest Marquette University Law School poll. Governor Walker, by the way, leads all Democratic rivals in the race for governor. And Milwaukee is one of among three cities still in the hunt to host the 2020 Democratic National Convention. Politico says Houston and Miami Beach are the other finalists. Time for the WTMJ Drake and Associates market update right now. The Dow is down, down three to 24,696. The Nasdaq up 65 to 77.91. The S&P also up, it is up eight to 27.70. WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic. 94 outbound from downtown all the way out to Highway 16. Right now is looking pretty good. It's 17 minutes right on time, headed out. 4145 southbound from Highway Q to the zoo. It's free. 15 minutes should be there just fine. Further south, though, you are going to be slowed a bit. 894 to the south from the zoo to the hill right now is a nine-minute ride as you go through the construction. 43 outbound from the Marquette Interchange all the way up to Brown Deer Roads. 12-minute trip, so that's on time. And 94 outbound from the Marquette to Layton. Delay-free, seven minutes. Traffic is sponsored by Capital Heating and Cooling. For all your air conditioning needs, trust the friendly professionals at Capital Heating and Cooling, your partner for comfort and health. Visit them today at CapitalHVAC.com. The WDTMJ five-day forecast. Cloudy to partly cloudy with the rain rolling through at times a high of 74. For tonight, partly cloudy, a low of 58. Thursday, partly cloudy again. A chance for rain late tomorrow night, a high of 75. Friday, cloudy with some scattered showers and storms, a high of 70 inland. Saturday and Sunday, both days partly cloudy, both days with highs in the upper 70s. Right now in Milwaukee, 61 degrees. I'm Eric Bilstead, News Radio, WTMJ. I'm Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, the kids tried to run. What do we do with them now? Stick around. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. Another day, another police chase. Here's the way um, it is described in the reports. Uh, New Berlin police assisted the city of Brookfield with the arrest of three people involved in a short police pursuit early Wednesday morning. It started around 4 a.m. 4 a.m. in the area of Moreland Road and I-94 when the city of Brookfield police attempted to stop a car for speeding. All right, so now most of the times if you're driving, car, you know, police pulls up behind you, the bubble lights go on, what do you do? You pull over. But, of course, now we're talking about... um southeastern wisconsin where the standard procedure is you floor it and you run for the police from the police so they try to stop this would be city of brookfield police they try to stop the car um it takes off and the police apparently don't don't chase at that point in time they they decide to let it go the vehicle same car was spotted in new berlin in the area of calhoun road and cleveland avenue a short time later police again Try to stop the car. Oh, there's the car that uh, ran away from the, the police before. They try to pull it over, and the car takes off again. Um, the driver later crashes the car in the area of Cleveland Avenue and Willow Road. All right, so then what happens? Okay, so there's now been two attempts to flee from the police. And, of course, as what happens all the time in these situations, after the collision, after the car's been cracked up, the people in the car get out and they try to run on foot. There was a foot pursuit, and the subjects go into a wooded area. All right, the New Berlin police, 
with the help of the Brookfield Police Department and the Waukesha County Sheriff's Office, set up a perimeter around the area. Now, this is all 4 o'clock this morning. This stuff is going on. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite little sidelight of the story. Canine officers helped track the suspects. So they bring in the dogs. Police did say a canine, un- a canine dog did bite one of the suspects who ran from the vehicle. Um, that person suffered minor injuries. All right, well, too bad. That's kind of, that's sort of, I, I never wish dog bites on anybody, but you know what, under these circumstances, you know, if you're being tracked by the canine and they end up biting you, I'm not going to be too sorry. All right, so here's the dazzling detail. Now, you have the two chases. The car, well, we know probably why the people ran, because the car had been stolen from a residence in West Dallas. So, Four in the morning, it's a car that's stolen in West Dallas, and again, the, the people are trying to elude. On top of this, we all know that the people that were involved in this were three juvenile suspects from Milwaukee County who stole the car, and I don't know if it's the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County, but three juveniles steal a car in West Dallas. It is four in the morning. These are juveniles. It is four in the morning. And first they lead the Brookfield police on a high-speed chase. The cops decide not to follow them. They show up again in New Berlin. Another high-speed chase ensues. They trash the car. They wreck the car. They flee on foot. You have to bring the Waukesha County Sheriff's Department in with the canine unit. Um, and eventually they catch all three of them. The driver, and these are juveniles, the driver of the vehicle will be charged with eluding and resisting and obstructing an officer. The two passengers will also be charged with resisting and obstructing an officer. My guess is they're also going to be investigating them for car theft as well. How did you end up in the stolen car? But you've got juveniles who have been involved in two high-speed chases and fleeing on foot from the police. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I don't care if these kids, I don't care if they're 13 or 15 or 17. When you do what they did, you need to go to jail. And yet, you know, one of the things that's happened around here is stealing cars and leading the cops on high-speed chases has become almost like a parlor game where there's little or no consequence. And as a result, that's why you have this stuff going on. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Forget about the fact that the car was stolen. The mere fact that these people made the decision to run from the police tells me that my inclination is, depending on their age, you should be, we, they should be treated as adults. This is a big deal. Now, maybe if they're 12 or 13, you know, that's not necessarily an option. But even in that case, what needs to happen is there needs to be punishment. There needs to be some form of secure detention. There needs to be a year, a year in jail. 414-799-1620. Isn't it time, once and for all, we started cracking down on this practice of stealing cars and then running from the police and thinking you can get away with this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, We have all these conversations about, well, should police ever chase? Well, my point is police should never be put in that position. The only reason people run is because... There is a reason for them to run. In this case, these punks were driving a stolen car. They caused a lot of trouble. They put people's lives at risk. Now that they're caught, they should be going to jail.
period, case closed. And I don't care about their age. If they're 12 or 13 or 14, well, then you put them through the juvenile system and you send them off to Lincoln Hills. If they're 15 or 16 or 17, you look at waving them into adult court. But this is dangerous, and this stuff got to stop. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike in Greenfield. Mike, hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Long-time caller, long-time listener. I know you're running on the clock. I'm going to make it brief. Where are the parents, number one? Number two, if those had been my kids, Jeff, <laughs> they would rather have went to jail than face me and my rap. Yeah, yeah, and again, I don't know I how old. Just, yeah, I mean, I don't know how old these kids are, but I, see, I don't care. I mean, uh, we know they're juveniles, so let's say somewhere between thirteen and seventeen. I don't know about you, Mike, but when I was seventeen years old, Ann and Jack Wagner weren't letting me out at four o'clock in the morning, joyriding in stolen cars. I mean, that just wasn't the way I was brought up. Quickly, I came from a school, a parochial school. I got sent to the principal's office once. We had milk monitors in our hall. <laughs> That's how far <laughs> back I go. But all in all, it was the first and last time I ever got sent to the principal's office, and thank God I learned something out of it. Um, thanks for calling. 414-799-1620. I mean, that's an overused phrase, but it is true. I mean, where are the parents? These and again, I don't know if it, I don't. I mean, we know they're juveniles. That's all I know. So it had to be, you know, they're under eighteen. So it could be thirteen, could be twelve, could be seventeen. But you're you're driving around in a stolen car, leading cops on multiple high speed chases. Crash the car. You run. You're hiding in the woods to the point that they've got to get the canine unit out. How much more of this stuff? And I use the word stuff instead of another word that comes to mind. Are we going to put up with? You know, we're talking about this police officer that died as a result of the, the chase. Well, okay, it's not the officer's fault. It's not the chase policy's fault. It's the fault of the people that ran from the police. And this underscores there's always a reason why people run. And these kids view this as a joke. Let's steal the car because we know nothing's going to happen to them. And the sad thing is they're right. Not much ever ends up happening, and that's got to stop. Let's talk to Randy in West Dallas. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Uh, basically the same thing that you've just been talking about. Uh, nothing happens to the kid. They catch and release, and yep. then um, let's do something to the parents to uh, get them involved in it. Well, what about what if the parents say, well, we had no idea. We had no idea, and again, I don't know how old they are, but let's say, let's say it's 16, just for the sake of argument. We had no idea our son was out on the street, I mean, stealing cars. I'm, we're just shocked, shocked that that could have happened. That's not our little boy. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah, no, th- no right. Th- I mean, ex- thanks, right. I don't believe it either. And again, I don't know. I don't know, you know, the, the, the kids, the people that were involved in this. And part of the problem is that if they're treated as juveniles, we're never going to know who they are and what their record is. But my guess is it's not the first time for any of these punks at the rodeo. Maybe they just woke up, you know, yesterday and decided, hey, let's go out in the middle of the night and steal a car and then run from the police at a high rate of speed. Maybe that was the first time they did it, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts that all of these punks have done this in some done this or something similar before because that's why you run from the cops. And this is, we've got to realize there is an epidemic about this. I think car theft is a big deal, and I think fleeing from the police is an even bigger deal. I expect the police to chase them. But then here's the corollary to that. When the police catch these punks, 
I expect the DA's office to show some stones and treat them like the criminals that they are, and I expect the court system to do the right thing as well, not slap somebody on the wrist and say, well, don't do that again. This is dangerous behavior. Let's talk to Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, um, I really blame the judges for this. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are allowing this catch-and-release program to go on and on and on and on. These kids are on double, triple secret probation because at least one of the juvenile court judges has publicly stated that he does not believe in putting these kids in detention. Yep. That's Judge Joe Donald. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Milwaukee County judge, yep. Right, and quite frankly, the kids that are stealing these cars, they're not living in the suburbs. They're coming out from Milwaukee. Um, In general, yeah. I mean, thanks. See, again, I don't know. I mean, all I know right now is the kids are from Milwaukee County. I don't know if that's a city or not, but yes, you have this epidemic of crime, both juvenile and adults, who starts off in the city of Milwaukee, and now they're moving out to the suburbs. This car was stolen from West Dallas, and again, all I know is there's somebody from the county, so I mean, it could be somebody from West Dallas. I, I don't know that, but yeah, you're right. You've got these juvenile judges, juvenile court judges, who bend over backwards to try to avoid holding people accountable. You have a district attorney's office in Milwaukee County that is, as a general rule, as a policy matter, they won't even try to waive you into adult court for things like car theft, and then we're surprised that this stuff happens over and over and over again. I mean, look, here, here's the bottom line. It, once you get to this point, if we all agree that, and, and I'm not sure that I'm not sure that the people who make decisions in the DA's office, and I'm not sure that the judges agree that it's a big deal if you flee from a police officer at 80 or 90 or 100 miles an hour. I'm not sure that they're convinced that that's a problem. I will tell you, if that's the case, they are way behind where the general public is because I think it is a huge problem, and you see this all the time, and then, of course, it's, well, we should blame the police because they were chasing. No, I mean, we blame the people that took off, and it's but for the grace of God that these three kids aren't dead when they crashed up the car. One of them's probably going to be whining because the dog bit them. Sorry, um, don't run from the police, and the dog won't end up biting you. But we've got to start treating this stuff seriously, period. 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I am a big fan of the Harry Potter series. I have actually read all the books in the Harry Potter series, and I was I, I was actually pleased with them because I, I thought it was great that it got kids reading. And, and to me... If you're a parent, one of the greatest gifts that you can give your child is the gift of reading because I think it just opens up worlds to them. I, I was actually telling this to somebody yesterday. I, I still one of I try, I try to read. I've at any given time I've got three or four different books going, and I I try to read a few chapters in a book every night, regardless of how tired I am, just because I think it makes my mind more alert. And I, I read all sorts of different things. And I, I so I'm a big fan of the Harry Potter series. The movies, eh, I, I mean, I mean, I, I saw. Several of them, not all of them. But, I mean, again, I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. But at the same time, if they say the NFL is the no-fun league, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers owns the Harry Potter franchise. And so, you know, they got, you know, all, all the Harry Potter stuff Warner Brothers wants to monetize. Warner Brothers would be the um, the, the, no, the the movie version of the no-fun league. Um, a lot of, all across the country, they have these Harry Potter festivals for example, there was a big one that used to be in Jefferson. They called it Harry Potter Festival USA. 
Um, three-day period, drew about 50,000 people to Jefferson. Um, you know, First, it was in Edgerton. A lot of people came. A lot of vendors came. People dressed up as the Harry Potter characters. All sorts of fun. Good time. People made some money. They raised money for charity. Fine. Warner Brothers, who has now shut this down. They've sicked the lawyers on not just the Jefferson Harry Potter Festival, but all these places across the country that would have, like, Harry Potter events. They've uh, they've closed them all down. They've sicked the lawyers on them, saying cease and desist, because if you do anything that showcases Harry Potter or characters from Harry Potter or any of the storylines, you're in violation of our copyright, and we're going to crack down, and we're going to sue you, etc., and so far, they've scared a lot of these small organizers out of doing these different types of events. My argument would be, shame on Warner Brothers, because here's the bottom line. This, I tell you, people show up at the Harry Potter events, and it just inspires interest in Harry Potter, making people more inclined to want to go buy licensed merchandise or revisit the things with the books or buy the different uh, or go to attend the different movies that are going to be coming out as the spinoffs or see the play that they have. But Warner Brothers have decided we're going to crack down on all this. Huh. So, okay, close down the Harry Potter Festival. Good. Um, all you're doing is hurting, it seems to me, the character. But that's what's going on. So, like I say, if you're wondering, gee, I used to go to that Harry Potter Festival. Why isn't it happening or why isn't it called that anymore? Thank Warner Brothers, who are apparently uh, they're trying to enforce their copyrights in a way that I don't think makes a lot of sense. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around.